Y'all, I could have charged for this episode because Laura brings the heat and so will Pinterest to your bank account after listening to this. You're listening to Inbox Besties, the only little guy approved podcast that gives you dangerously practical advice for turning internet randos into subscribers with benefits. You know, the kind that pop open their wallets and throw fistfuls of cash at you for your courses and, and coaching, not like that other stuff. Perv. Now let's get to it. Welcome back, my inbox besties, besties. Kate Donster here of katedonster.com. And as always, I am beyond excited to be in your ear holes today. It has been so long, like I think almost a year and a half since we have talked about Pinterest. In particular, it was episode 117, which I'll link to down below where we had Kate all talking about the best practices when it comes to Pinterest. And Pinterest, like you're going to hear in this interview that I did with Laura, is like, it's a beast, meaning it can be fickle. You try to make it happy, but sometimes you just can't quite figure out what this is. And Laura is definitely the person to go to for this. So what we talk about in this episode, like I said, she honestly could have charged for because we cover so much in like the span of 35 minutes. It's kind of ridiculous. We talk about A-B testing, what that actually is, how far apart you should schedule out your pins so that way you can see what style of image is doing best or not. We talk about three things to never, ever, 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 ever do again on your graphics. She's going to tell you about one tool that honestly, the second I heard about it, I started using it and saw explosive results. And from using this one tool, she actually tweaked somebody's pins by a word, a single word, and they saw their traffic steadily increase. Like within the span of two weeks, it was absolutely ridiculous what you're going to hear about today. So we cover, like I said, an absolute lot. And we also talk about, which I thought was really interesting and why I wanted to have her on the show. We're going to talk about if you are creating a pin that is going specifically to a paid product, whether it is a physical consumer-based good or if it's to a digital product, the things that you need to have on the pin so that way your conversion rates can still go up, up, and up. So that is it for me right now. I'm going to go ahead and I will meet you after our interview to recap everything and let you know where you can hang out with Laura. Guys, I am so excited to talk to Laura today, not only because we were chatting before we got on this episode, spoiler alert, not that y'all can see this, but we're wearing matching outfits, which I think is absolutely adorable. <laughs> so you know that this is going to be a great episode, but it has been what, like a gajillion years in Pinterest years since we've actually talked about it. It was way back in episode, I think it was 117 that we had Kate from Sibliffin Media come on and like Pinterest has changed so much in that particular time. And one of the questions that we got a lot from Kate's episode was, yeah, but like, what do my pins actually look like? So we did talk a lot about some things that I will have to say, we'll link to it in the show notes, episode 117, that's got like, you know, a lot of like basics. And we talk about like group boards and all this sort of stuff. But today we are going to talk specifically about how to create pins that are poised to go viral and actually attract some buyers. So why don't you go ahead and say, Hey, and introduce yourself. So everyone gets to know how great you are. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I am so super excited. Um, so I am Laura Reich. I am a Pinterest strategist and I primarily help high performing business owners and content creators. Um, with their growth plans and visibility and monthly revenue and everything related to Pinterest so that y'all can avoid 
the tantrums over tech and trading your sleep for success. Um, so that's something that's super fun for me. I guess a little background. Um, I actually did not start as a Pinterest person. I started as a VA about 13 years ago. Um, I was doing all the things. I had gone to school for graphic design originally, was not using that in anything that I was doing, um, <laughs> but then really kind of got burnt out trying to do all the things and having a family and everything. So I fell in love with Pinterest while I was exploring different avenues of being a VA um, and really got to bring in my experience as a graphic designer with that. So it just kind of felt like that natural fit. And I have been doing that ever since. Oh, I think that that is so interesting. And I think that that's kind of important for everyone that you don't have to stay quote stuck in your niche or like stuck with your service. You can grow and explore. And I'm sure the second that you went from being a general VA to an actual Pinterest strategy, your rate shot up. People were probably recommending you more. It probably just actually niching down and specializing probably did a lot of great things. Yeah, it was easier for people to recognize how to be able to do that word of mouth referral, which was um, scary at first, right? Because you think if you level down, you're not gonna, and you have this one specific direction, you're not gonna be able to find the right people. And it feels like the audience gets smaller and tight and really it got wider. Um, and the connections started to come in and I love connecting with people. So it was really cool to see that change. I absolutely love that. So before we dive into the Pinterest templates, because I know that's what you guys are all definitely wanting to know. You guys know here on Inbox Besties that we're on a mission to put money in the hands of good people so they can do good with it. But sometimes we don't always have good days. So I would love to know what is your McDonald's moment? So this could be recently, this can be when you're first starting out, that moment where you kind of thought to yourself, even for a split second, yeah, I kind of just want to toss in the towel and go work at McDonald's. It's going to be so much easier. That's actually a really cool analogy and a really good question. Um, I think really, honestly, it was the first couple of years after I had leveled down. Uh, I started working on management clients. I was building a course to be able to have um, trainings for people and really help them if they wanted to keep it in-house. And I still felt like my, like my time and my structure was a little spaghetti walled. Um, and then I found out I was pregnant with my second child. So at that point, I was really like, did when I leveled down, did I really free up time? Did I really figure out what I love or am I just pushing myself back into this, doing all the things to make the money to provide for the family and not really being able to love spending time with my family, right? Um, and so we had to take a second and step back and just really kind of look at it and see like, is that, is it worth it? Is it, is it going to help or do I just stop and get a nine to five so that I can come home and leave everything at work and just enjoy time with the family. Um, and when we looked at it, it really was just a small change in my schedule and how things worked at the house and how I was working in general. And it 
it really clicked. And then it was like, okay, I can do what I love and I can still have my family and I don't have to be overworked. I don't have to provide more to bring in more and things like that. So it was really kind of a a good mindset change, I think for sure. In that moment, was there anything that you were afraid of or like feeling guilt around or like shame around? Like when you, when you go back to yourself a couple of years ago, before you got pregnant with your son, like what, what did it really feel like? Yeah, there was a lot of shame. (laughs) I'm, I mean, full transparency. Um, there were a lot of fights. There was a lot of frustration. My oldest is now almost 13. So Mm -hmm. back then he was about nine and he, I mean, there was a moment where he came up to me and he was like, you are always on your phone, mom. Like you are always on your phone. And I was like, I'm sorry. Like, even when I'm not working, I was on my phone. And, and I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of moms that have had that, right? Where the kids just yeah. notice and you didn't. Because I've heard stories like that before. Um, what really hit me, though, is I didn't take that and change right away Mm -hmm. and so it came around again and that's when I felt like oh my gosh that's the shame right like he had already told me this once this time I forget what he had said the second time but it was like um something about how he never wanted a phone or he never wanted a computer which is hilarious because now he's like my IT kid (laughs) right Um, but back then it was like, he just never wanted that because he said he wanted to be able to be around us. And I was like, all the guilt came down. Yeah. I didn't listen the first time. Right. Like I may have set my phone down. I may have stopped working for a while, but then it crept back in. I'm sure a couple weeks, months, whatever later. So there was a lot of guilt around it, but I think that's a part of my story, right? And that's a part of why I am the way I am now and why I do it the way I do. And I think that there's other people that can relate to that too. So I don't try to necessarily hide it, but I embrace it and that use that to keep me going in the direction we want to be going and not kind of backpedal to that point again. Yeah, I absolutely love that. And I think that every parent, I don't want to call out sexes but I think that usually the mom of the group that is usually it because it is that balance between your ambition and your need to provide and kind of like you're like is it my pride like what's going on and it's like oh what I've got to sacrifice for my for my child but I love how you can just share that story so openly because I guarantee you somebody today was pretty much in the same situation when they're listening to this episode and they're like I'm so glad that it's not just me and that there is indeed a way out of it. And I think that one of those ways to get out of it is to make sure that the systems that you have that are doing the work for you, your background gremlins are actually working. And one of people's primary background gremlin, for lack of a better word, is Pinterest. And she is definitely a gremlin. Like you feed her after midnight and she is turning from the cute little gizmo into like the bad guy, like, or no, gizmo's the bad guy in gremlins. Like, it's just like, she can turn into a monster. 
So I would love to know, especially since, you know, Pinterest last year in 2020, um, they were really pushing for pins. They tried story pins. They had that. Like, what do you feel now is what Pinterest actually really wants from people? Yeah. So I, I mean, they're still pushing pins and story pins and they have video pins and things like that. Now, I think really what we've seen work the best within my agency is really repurposing, but keeping it fresh. Right. And so explain that. Yeah, absolutely. So I love, um, when you talk about how people, need to focus on their strategies and their automations and systems to be able to have that freedom. One of the things that I try to teach people is, is that you can repurpose content while still keeping it fresh, right? Mm -hmm. And the easiest way to explain that is if you look at your Google analytics or your Pinterest analytics, and if you see a post that was doing really well, say last year. And the pin isn't necessarily doing so well this year. Go ahead and create a fresh pin to stay in alignment with the fresh content that Pinterest really wants. But it can link back to that old pillar content that people are still loving and consuming. And that content doesn't have to be a blog post. It doesn't have to be like an article or things like that. It can be a landing page. It can be um, a Facebook live stream. Like there's a number of different things, but you really just want to focus on what way can you look at, like is a different term trending, um, things like that, and then repurpose that content so that they can still consume it in the right time this year, like they did last year. Would you rather crawl across glass naked or have to stand in line at the DMV with Taco Bell tummy? You know what I'm talking about. Then actually have to write an email to your list. I mean, you don't want to come off too salesy and what if you're boring and you don't want to add to all of the noise. And somehow every single week, besides the cold sweat, you bust out with being finger tied, you know, instead of tongue tied because you're actually typing. Don't you just wish that you could just magically snap your fingers and almost have somebody else write your emails for you? Well, that's exactly what you're going to get when you invest in the email marketing fairy. The email marketing fairy template set is over 50 grab and go newsletters, welcome series, and even an 11 part sales funnel that you can use as an amazing jumping off point to actually write emails that connect with your audience, get replies, and most importantly, get those buy buttons hit. And all you need to do to get your hands on this, along with almost $100 worth of free bonuses, is by heading on over to theemailmarketingfairy.com. That's right, head on over to theemailmarketingfairy.com and you will never have to awkwardly tell your list, hey, I know it's been a while ever again. Ooh, that makes a lot of sense. Now, when you say fresh content, just to clarify, we don't need to create a brand new blog post based on something that sort of did well for Pinterest us in the past. Fresh content means a fresh pin, like a brand new like pin image, right? Would it mean like a new description as well? Or can you kind of modify a description? Great question. So there isn't really like a line drawn of course, Pinterest is always giving us all this information and there's not one person that says, do this black and white, (laughs) Um, which is for me kind of the fun of it, right? Because I love to A-B test everything. 
Um, my suggestion is to create everything brand new. I don't think it's going to benefit you to even try to change just a couple words or use a new image with the same description. Um, I think that their real push is for completely new. And that's why they're saying fresh. The link though, doesn't have to go to completely new in my opinion, because there are so many different ways to say one thing that you can create new descriptions and new images that have completely different titles and completely different conversations in them that lead to that one thing because you're saying it so many different ways and you're reaching different people at a different time, different audiences, different ways they like to consume content, things like that. I, I absolutely love all of that about, like you said, by fresh, they mean the fresh description, the new image, probably the headline that you have on there. And we're definitely going to be talking about some headlines. There's two things that I wanted to ask you about that you were talking about. The first thing is A-B testing. Does that mean when you are either looking at old content or say even that you've got a new piece of content, say like you just published a blog post, but A-B testing, do you mean like I should be creating like two pins for my blog post and putting them out at the same time to see what's going on? Or what do you mean by A-B testing? Yeah, so there's um, some controversy about when to put out each pin for A-B testing. Mm -hmm. um, I will say what I do. I don't speak to what other people do in anything. But what I have noticed is that I typically make at least two images. Mm -hmm for that one piece of content. And I do kind of structure it different. So I will post a couple of them at the same time. I am very careful though, to make sure that I haven't posted that same URL within a certain amount of time. I don't gotcha. want Pinterest to think that I'm like just trying to shove it out there a bunch of times. But if I really am like a completely new design, right? Or a new template or layout, um, then I will put both of them out there at the same time. If they're very similar, I may post one at the same time on a Monday and then wait a week and then the same time that same Monday Ooh, to the same smart. board. Um, that way it's still apples to apples. But again, it's, it's going to be relevant to what you've scheduled in the past. How many times have you shared that? If it's a completely new blog post, my personal preference, go ahead and post both of them right away and then see which one is doing better. If you don't do that every single day, you're not going to get dinged for it, but it will provide you good data to see which one's doing better than the other. I absolutely, I love that so much about the A-B testing. And I feel like we can go so much into, especially about the templates. So we're going to talk about those in a second, but there's one other thing that you had mentioned before when we were talking about fresh content. And you had said something about trending terms. So yeah. how would we figure out what's trending? Or is that like from people that are more business to consumer, like it's B2B, like that's kind of not really necessarily a thing. Like how, how do we figure out like, okay, I've got this piece of content, whether it's new or it came out like six months ago, I want to breathe some new life into it. How do we figure out how we can hop on a trend? Yeah, for sure. So quick little story. I had a client, um, now client, but I had, she was coming for like a discovery call and she was like, 
I think I've done something wrong. Like my analytics plateaued for the past six months and now all of a sudden they're tanking. She's like, I do really well. She was a fashion blogger. So she was monetizing her website. And we went to this awesome tool called trends.pinterest.com. And it's something Mm -hmm. that Pinterest just put out, I think within the last six months or so, Mm -hmm. um, that really allows you to kind of see where the keywords are going, right? Are they trending Mm -hmm. right now? Were they trending six months ago? And we took a second to go through some of the terms that she was used to. And this was right at the beginning of when uh, the pandemic was starting and Mm -hmm. everything was shifting and people, you know, were trying to change their marketing and things like that. And the term went from it was, I think it was summer chic to summer aesthetics. And just that one tweak in the next two weeks, she saw her analytics start going up again. And so it's not going to be like immediate for everyone, right? So don't run mm-hmm. and go start using this tool <laughs> thinking that we already have sudden- it in another tab. We already have it in another tab because there's a link to it in the show notes. You know, they're all there. Oh uh, yeah. But like it, it will be beneficial, right? For the long-term goal of your Pinterest account. Um, but it was really cool to see how like when she made a fresh pin and she was targeting the um, fashion aesthetics or summer aesthetics, I can't remember exactly what it was, but the word was aesthetics instead of chic or things like that. It really made that difference because when we compared the two in this trends tool, it showed that nobody really cared about aesthetics before, but all of a sudden there was this shift in how people were searching for certain things. And so I urge people to use the trends tool within their strategy of content planning, because you can then, if you're planning out the next three, six months, you can start to see what is coming around differently for those terms. And it will also suggest to you some new terms that maybe you weren't thinking of before, or maybe instead of um, like fashion, people were searching uh, comfy clothing and they didn't type in the actual word fashion. Like there's a number of different ways to say things. So it was really cool to see how that one change by using that tool really kind of shed light on the new direction she should be taking in terms of her targeting and keywords. I absolutely, I love all that. I'm like writing it down. I'm like this and this, and you need to do this. Going to do some content planning for the next quarter. Like, okay, I, I see where you're going. Cause we, I think we've all at one point in time, like Pinterest, like sort of ticked up for everyone. And we're like, yay. And then like Pinterest tanks are like, boo, what do you want from me? <laughs> so I absolutely love that. I think that that's so smart. I would have never guessed the word aesthetics. I feel like people could spell the word yeah. chic, but I feel like they would spell the word aesthetics wrong. Maybe it's because I'm such a bad speller. But- no, don't ask me how to spell it. I just know that was one of the words. <laughs> it's just so, it's so interesting that that's where they came up with. So we're yeah. definitely going to be talking about like images and branding in one second, especially because you're a graphic designer. But since we've just been talking about words, I would love to know on our Pinterest image. So I'm aware this is going to be different for different industries, whether you're business to consumer, like the fashion blogger, whether you're someone who blogs about blogging or coaches about coaches, it's going to be a little bit different, but what would you say is the difference either in wording or it could be in 
aesthetics. When you are trying to create a pin that's going to attract somebody who is going to either buy, sign up for your email list, or just like, you know, interact with your pin, what have you noticed really does help drive some sales. And I realize that people are going to need their back end in order their analytics or Google analytics or shopping yep. cart. But what have you noticed as a trend of like your clients being like, yeah, this one is connecting. Yeah. So the biggest thing, um, product based businesses are a little bit easier in that regard because you have, I shouldn't say you have, most of you have product images that are nice and you can put them on a pin image and it really showcases what people would get if they click through. It's a little bit more difficult for service-based businesses or for digital products, right? And so one of the things that we've really seen recently is making sure that if you can, even if it's a, an ebook or maybe you have a Google doc that they would get once they give their email, somehow create a graphic that showcases, you know, if they get five pages, you know, five different layout pages on the bottom of the pen or the top of the pen, like ways to get creative in showcasing a quote unquote product that would be tangible. Because when they see that, their brain understands that they're receiving something, right? And so it's easier than just text, like download now, um, things like that. If you can showcase how they would get it, a PDF. Um, sometimes people put like the computer screen on there, right? Because then you can showcase like your course. If it's service-based, maybe you showcase stat numbers on a computer screen. Um, things like that really kind of help us process it better in terms of what they would get when they click through. And then couple that always with a call to action. A lot of people focus on just the titles on the pin image and they forget about telling their audience what they want them to do. And a fun story that I like telling people all the time is it's like me and my husband, right? I walk downstairs from the office. I see the living room awry because of my kids playing. Totally cool. It's lived in. I start picking it up and then I look over and he's still working or you know, playing with the kids or whatever. And I get frustrated. I really don't have a reason to get frustrated because in my head, I was thinking you need to come over here and help me pick this up. But I didn't physically tell him that I would like some help. He can't read my mind, right? So he's not going to come over there and start helping me just because I'm doing it. I have to tell him what I would like help with. And it's the same thing for our audience. You need to be able to tell them what are they going to get? What is the benefit? What do they need to do? Even if it's just as simple as click to download, that helps them understand like this is an awesome image. I really relate to this title. Oh, if I click through, I get X, Y, and Z. And so we need to make sure that we don't forget those things either. Oh, so true. So go ahead and actually have that call to action. I do have one question and <laughs> that is when you are doing something for something for sale. So say like you said, like an ebook 
or a course or even like coaching. I've had some people say to go ahead and put a price on the pin. So that way people are aware of what's on the other side of the click, but it's a sales page and not like a blog post or something free. And now they're mad. And then your conversion rates are in the toilet. But my thing has always been as somebody who loves to play in the realm of pricing, like I don't want to put that something is say, we'll say like Trello magic as like $24 because what if I raise the price to 32, then people are getting mad. So for our call to action, instead of actually saying like a price or even in like the description, should it be more like buy now or like, like, what do you guys do for your clients when you know it's going directly to a sales page? Yeah. So I am not a huge fan of the prices on there either. Um, I think depending on how you have your account set up, um, your prices would reflect on it anyway in the rich pins. So if depending on what you're using and how it's structured, that works that way. I think for me personally, I also don't like the very um, atypical buy now because to me that turns me off if I'm not ready for that purchase. Mm -hmm. And I know a lot of people come to Pinterest ready to buy, like they're looking for that solution. I prefer to do a call to action. That's more of get this benefit. Right. And so instead of buy now, if you're providing to them, um, like a course, right. Mm -hmm. And they're going to get a very structured benefit. Like say they're going to be able to organize their business in seven hours, right? Like from top to bottom, I would say something like that. Like, you know, grab this here to, and now I'm like drawing a blank on my own stuff, right? Because I'm throwing- (laughs) Organize your business in seven hours. Right, like- (laughs) And then in your actual, and that's on the pin itself, but then on the actual description, we could put some type of language that lets them know that this is behind a dollar sign situation. Exactly. But then the call to action, I'm still going to make it like a button, right? So it's going to be similar to a buy now button, but I'm telling them that benefit then like, again, it's really a mindset thing than saying you have to purchase They subconsciously know that they're going to be purchasing something from our description, from our title, things like that. But if we say this is the benefit, right? And that's what we're highlighting. I think for me and my clients, that really does more. Again, A-B test it. Do Mm -hmm. a very straight up same pin. And the only thing you change is buy now or download for this benefit and see which one does better. So, so interesting. And again, like you said, when you're trying to compare apples to apples, try to make sure that it's the same time and, you know, realize that if pin A you put out a week before, it's still going to have a week more to sort of do that. Um, So I think that's really interesting. So let's bring it on back to this Pinterest template, the image, because it is a visual platform. And I know that we've talked a lot about words, but it's because we want to get the whole picture to get these sales and this email list. I have heard that one should have like an aesthetic. There's that word again, where like somebody should quote unquote, be able to tell that it's yours even without your name on it. But I feel like that is kind of hard. So do you feel like, no, like it's fine. Just use like the templates that you have in Canva or like borrow some ideas. I guess, how can we, if we're creating AB testing, how can we 
still test like different images or different styles, but still feel like, oh, this is kind of from the same person. Yeah. So that's a great question. Um, I personally am not a huge fan of all of the templates in Canva just Mm -hmm. because they are free. And so a lot of people are going to be using that same aesthetic. (laughs) Mm. There's the word. Um, (laughs) So the thing that we've seen even more recently is for those that are B2B, we tend to put a lot of stock photos in the background. And even with those, we're noticing the reach isn't as good as it could be because other people that are in different niches use that Mm -hmm. same stock photo and we may not be getting classified in the right areas for our categories and our interests. So some things that I am suggesting right now, more specifically to like my team and my course students is to focus on what are ways that you can still create a really eye-catching show-stopping pin without the stock photos in the background. Is it just going to be maybe a solid color in the background? Or maybe you do a solid color with some like design features, like a squiggle line or a circle or things like that, where it's more of um, a design type feel than it is a photo type feel. Um, Even with some of, we had a a mom blogger who uh, had these nooks that was her product that she created and she would put a a stock photo of a baby right totally helped in terms of the visual aspect of knowing like this is what she's trying to attract but that classification of that stock photo actually got coupled with pregnant moms um, for some unrelated topic that she didn't want to be known for and so it's hard if you just grab a stock photo to focus on how it's going to help you classify. So again, we're going to go back to that AB test. And I feel like I'm telling you guys this Mm -hmm. and over and over again and not giving like a clear direction, do this, but it really is going to be different for every single niche and every brand. I think that it is important to have your own colors and your Mm -hmm. own set of fonts so that they can pick out that it is you. I do suggest always keeping a logo or a URL on the image Mm -hmm. as well, again, for the branding aesthetic, but test out if it's going to be more beneficial for you to have stock photos, if it's gonna be more beneficial for you to have solid color backgrounds, Um, Maybe it's a stock photo with a solid color overlay on top of it. So only just a little pop of that background shows, but it still gives that difference between the design itself. I have so many questions. (laughs) I love it. So many. So I think that this with the overlay sort of ties into the first question that I had written down. And that is, how can we tell how a stock photo is already been classified if we haven't pinned the pin yet. Like if we find a stock photo that we like, like do we need to like pin it to a secret board and then see like reverse image search? Like how, 
how were you even able to tell for that person? Like, Oh, baby is getting classified here. Is it something we can do before? Or is it just kind of like afterwards you can check? So a lot of the times it comes afterwards because the mm. clients have already pinned them to their account. And so this is when they're coming into us. Uh -huh. um, we do an initial audit with them. That's something that I provide as like a service. So then I can say like using visual search and using the classification to what pulls up underneath you, this is how you're being shown as. Um, I go back and forth on suggesting trying to figure it out beforehand if you want to check just a stock photo then I say yes put just that stock photo onto a secret board and then click on that stock photo see how it pulls up what pulls up underneath it things like that um, it's not going to be a hundred percent accurate because you don't have the title on top of it you don't have like your elements on it so that does make a difference. The other concern that I have is I want to make sure everybody is very aware that even if it is a secret board, if you created a pin with a stock photo and you post it on that secret board, that is your fresh content. So now if you take that pin and you try to pin it to a different board, it's no longer new fresh content because it's already been put on Pinterest, regardless if it's a secret board or a public board. So that's where I kind of get a little iffy on be very careful, right? Like it's more of an I, after thing. Look at yeah. your trends afterwards when you're looking to A-B test rather yeah. than before you're creating the pin. I think that a lot of people just took a sigh of relief. They're like, oh, goodness, like I did not have enough time to go and research yeah, my exactly. stock photo. But I think that that's so great to know. And um, what I found really interesting is I was unaware that by adding that overlay that it could potentially reclassify an image. Yeah, because it masks a lot of the design elements um, that may have been there or been more visible, right? And so because it is a visual search engine, they have a lot of power behind, you know, searching the actual image and what is pulling from it and what's not. And so things like that can really cover up parts of a stock photo and make it look like it's different to the algorithm. Nice. So I know that we went a little bit over on our time, but I've got to know if you could rapid fire, give us three things that you never, ever, ever, ever want to see people do on their images again, especially as a designer, what would they be? What is like number one worst cardinal sin? Don't do this. <laughs> uh, number one worst cardinal sin is to put the really fun, lovely scripty fonts on your pen image. Everybody loves them. I'm sorry. They are really hard to read on a mobile device. The, the classifications are going to be really hard because Pinterest can't read the fun scripty fonts. Uh, just don't do it. <laughs> you oh. can put cursive fonts, but make sure they're very legible and they're not like the handwritten craziness. Um, I think no handwritten. <laughs> yeah, no handwritten. I think the second one for me is colors. Um, make sure that you only have like two to three colors. Don't go crazy and have like seven different areas of color unless you're like an artist, right? And it's a part of a design that you did. Yeah. You want to stick to a very strict color palette, make sure that it works. 
And that kind of leads into number three, which is your fonts. So mm-hmm. make sure that you only use two fonts. I don't like any more than two fonts. There may be other people out there that say differently. Personally, I think when you stick to two fonts, you can change the titles and lay it out nicely to be visible and legible um, while still having that cool design element to it and not being overwhelming. So with those two fonts, like say that I've got like just two different fonts, can I use them as different sizes throughout the same image to like be like, oh, okay. Like, you know, my one that says like my cool keyword is like, you know, I'm trying to think of a font. You guys can tell, like you never use times, <laughs> times new Romel or whatever. I'm let them. It's like, oh, like, okay. Open Sans. That's a font that I know. Garamond. There we go. So like <laughs> I could have Garamond for my keyword and for like my website URL, but all the rest of the one I could have open yes. source. Absolutely. Yeah. And definitely play, like you just said, if you're going to use Garamont for the keyword in your title, right? Definitely play with that. What do you want to highlight and use a different font that doesn't um, have the same font as the rest of that title that you're using and really kind of call that out so people can pick that out quickly when they're on their mobile device. Oh, I absolutely love this. And I feel like we could talk forever and ever and ever about sure. Pinterest and actually attracting buyers and all of this, but I would love for people to know one, I know that you have a free masterclass that everyone can get into that. I think it's going to just take this and just really like kick it up a notch, but also where can everybody hang out with you online as well? Of course. So everywhere I am online is Laura Reich. So I am of course on Pinterest. Um, I have a Facebook page, Instagram, all the good things. I think the only place I am not right now is TikTok, but I love watching everybody's TikToks. So feel free to send them to me. (laughs) Um, But yeah, just Laura Reich, R-I-K-E. So, so nice. And like I said, we'll have a link to everything in the show notes for you guys, the freebie, the masterclass, all of that greatness. Thank you so much. I had so much fun talking to you. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. It was awesome. Wasn't that a fantastic interview? Like, seriously, I have so much stuff that we are going to be implementing here on the team. So just to recap, again, if you want to go ahead and use Pinterest trends, especially if you are a consumer-based blogger, I have to say that we did this with some of the different business terms that I had, and it was kind of interesting to see what was ranking and what wasn't. Some keywords just aren't going to turn up. You want to make sure that you go to trends.pinterest.com. Also, make sure that when you are creating your Pinterest images, if you are using some stock photos, maybe perhaps use an overlay if that works with your brand. Again, stick to your brand colors, but it could be interesting to see, especially before you dive into implementing all the things that we've talked about today, what your current Pinterest account is actually doing because you might be ranking for things or being associated with stuff that just doesn't make any sense for your brand. And remember, you can spend plenty of time crafting your pins, but if it's going to be for something for sale, you're going to want to use some type of mock-up, some type of visual. You guys know that I'm a really big fan of smart mock-ups. Also, place it can work really well. I think even Canva now, though we did talk about if you're using a template, everyone else's, it's going to be hard to stand out. But I'm very sure that you can even create animated GIFs that you can then go ahead and put on your pins to stand out. So go ahead, click the link below. If you head on over to katedoster.com 
forward slash Laura, you are going to be able to go ahead and snag a seat to her free masterclass where she is going to dive even deeper into how you can attract your perfect subscribers and buyers over here on Pinterest. And I'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you for having Inbox Besties in your ear holes today. Why don't we go ahead and make it a regular thing? Go ahead and slap that subscribe button now. And while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and take a screenshot and tag me over on your Instagram stories, Kate underscore Doster, so that way I can give you a shout out for being a bestie of the week. Later days.